this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. In this series, we're talking about standing in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's really hard to access His power if you have the wrong ideas about Him in the first place. So before we can really stand in that power, we need to know who the Holy Spirit even is. Today we're on our second in this message series where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, all year long we're talking about standing through the storm. God just laid that on my heart hard for this year. And so that's kind of what we're talking about all year long. And, and so I wanted to take this moment near the beginning of the year still to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and how he gives us the ability to stand. It's all him and his power. You need him. I need him. And so I wanted us to talk about how we stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the definition of who the Holy Spirit even is. You know, I wanted to kind of answer that. If we're going to understand how to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit, we got to even know who He is in the first place. So um, I want to start today. I'm going to be asking a couple of questions. I want to start the message with a question, and then I'm going to ask a second big question later, much later in the in the message today, but I just want you to be thinking about these two questions. Here's the first one right here. First question for you is, what if these really are the end times? And what if what we're watching in the news and what if we're, what we're seeing in our culture, what if what we all sense is happening is really happening? Every generation for 2,000 years have been saying, hey, we're living in the end times. You know, Paul described his days as the last days when he was writing parts of the New Testament. And today we're still wondering, are we in the end times? Well, what if, what if this really is it? I mean, we're looking around and, you know, we know what, what end times kind of look like because the scripture has told us there would be wars and rumors of wars. Do we have that? Man, do we have that? Man, are we a little nervous about that right now, right? We, uh, we know that there will be all kinds of unexplained thing, you know, famine. Do we have famine? I was just reading an article this morning about how the Ukrainians are cut off from all food supply, and they're having a famine in their land, and they're worried about this. You know, yeah, we have that. We just had this pandemic that feels like it's kind of an end of times kind of thing. And, you know, all these things, all these things have happened in the past. You know, we've seen a great turning away from God. We've seen war and rumors of wars. We've seen all this stuff happen in the past. But there's a big key, a big key difference that's happening now that hasn't happened before. You know, you know, biblically, Israel, the nation of Israel, plays a key pivotal role in the end times. But did you remember that for most of these last 2,000 years, Israel did not exist as a nation? That's only happened since World War II. And now we're seeing all this stuff happen, and now Israel is in a place where it can play the key role that it's biblically required to play. Could this really be it? 
Could these really be the end times? If they are, we know some of the stuff that's gonna happen next. We know that that great turning away from God will only become more significant. We know that suffering will increase greatly in the world. We know that it's going to affect our friends, our families. We know that many will fall to the enemy during these last times. And we know if these are the last days, we know that soon each and every one of us will stand before the king in judgment. And he'll ask us, what did you do with the resources I gave you? What did you, how did you steward what I provided you with? And my hope, my hope is that you and I will be able to say, I have been a watchful, faithful servant. I've taken what you've given and I have produced for your kingdom. And my hope for you is that he will look to you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You stood. You built your house. I told you the storm was coming, and I told you the way to deal with it would be to build your house. You were intentional. You worked on purpose. You built your house. Either way, if these are the end times, the first blank on your page is this, now is the time to build your house. Now is the time to build your house because building takes time, because it takes intentionality, because it's a process. Now is the time for you and I to be building our houses. And if we're going to build our house on the bedrock, uh, build a standing house that will weather the storm, it's important to know what we're building on. It's important to know how to build. In other words, what I'm trying to say is theology is really important. You know, theology is just knowing about God. It's, the, it's, it's knowing what you know about God. And so what I want to do is I want to make sure that we know who the Holy Spirit even is this morning. I want us to have good theology about the Holy Spirit. And I know, I know there's some people I know that tell me, you know, the theology is not real important. I don't want to go too deep with all this. I just want to, I just want to read the Bible and just take it on surface level. And I don't, I don't want to get too deep. And I just want to say, please don't make that mistake. Please have good theology. I, I believe that what you think about God is really important because what you think will absolutely affect what you do. Am I right? I mean, the way you think about God and everything in this world will absolutely affect everything you do. Good theology will always lead you closer and closer to him. Bad theology will lead you in the wrong direction. Good theology will help you desire him more. Bad theology will cause you to chase after all the things that God hates and will judge on judgment day. So we're gonna take some time today and, and we're, gonna, 
we're going to try to get some good theology of the Holy Spirit. So I guess it's my job this morning, as best as I can, to define the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks for that. Like that's going to happen. Like I can even begin to wrap my head around who the Holy Spirit even is. Back in the 300s, in the year 300-ish, there was a, a great saint by the name of Saint Basil, and he wrote a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he writes this, he says, how can we even ponder what exists beyond the ages? What did he, talking about the Holy Spirit, what did he do before creation began? How great are the graces he showed on creation? What power will he wield in the age to come? He, the Holy Spirit, he uh, existed, he pre-existed, he co-existed with the Father and the Son before the ages. Even if you can imagine anything, beyond the ages, you will discover that the Spirit is even further beyond. He's saying even if you can begin to tap into the eternal, you'll realize that there's never an end to knowing Him. I just want to say, aren't you glad we worship a God that's beyond our cranial capacity? Aren't you glad that we have a God that you cannot fully comprehend. I just want to say I'm, I'm glad that we worship a God that's not subjected to the scientific method. I mean, I'd like to sit here and tell you I've got graphs and charts, and we're going to analyze the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you everything there is to know about Him. But I'm so grateful that I worship a God that is above me, beyond me, greater than I'll ever be. That's a God worthy of our worship. Am I right? I don't want to worship some God that I can figure out that I can get my head around, that I can fully 100% understand because then he would be right here on my level and I'm grateful that he has to come to my level and that he does, that he willingly chooses to come right to where I am and be exactly what I need him to be whenever I need him to be that, but yet he is so far above and beyond me. I'm grateful that we worship that kind of God. But today we're going to try our best to try to understand him better. And the goal is not to fully understand him. The goal is to worship him. The goal is to take what we can know about him and let, let what we know lead us to an unknowing part, lead us to saying he is better, he is greater, he's more infinite than I can ever get my head around, and we'll choose to let that cause us to praise him even more. That's the goal is to worship him. So I'm gonna do my best to, to kind of help you know him better, and I hope today you'll take some good notes because we're going to kind of go through a lot. Today's message is going to kind of feel a little bit more academic than usual because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff pertaining to the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you're going to walk away knowing Him a little bit better. You know, it's easy for us to feel like the Holy Spirit is some kind of, you know, influence, some kind of just wind that blows. It's easy for us to think of the Holy Spirit like he's, you know, the force. These aren't the droids you're looking for, right? And, and, and it's easy for us just to think that he's just some kind of mystical, magical 
thing that happens. But the reality is, this is the next blank on your page, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a legit, for real person. That's the way Jesus always talked about the Holy Spirit is as if he were a person. In John 16, Jesus says, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Right here, we get a pretty clear description of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a he. He's a person. Jesus names him the advocate here. And he says that he will do something. He will convict the world of its sin. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to use the force to convict you of sin. He says, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin, will convict the world of God's righteousness. So you'll, you'll see how holy, how righteous God is. And the Holy Spirit, once he reveals that, he will reveal your sin to you. And you're going to want to repent of that sin because you know that there will be coming judgment. The Spirit's going to reveal that there's coming judgment. So you're going to want to repent of your sin and trust Him. The Holy Spirit leads us to these things. Jesus also, a little bit later, says when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what he's heard, he will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory. This is Jesus speaking. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. It's interesting to look and see. Isn't this interesting? Um, he'll bring me glory. The Holy Spirit does this. He brings the Son glory. The Holy Spirit comes to glorify the Son, to point to the Son by telling you whatever He receives from me. It's interesting that He speaks on behalf of the Son. So all that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus says. That's why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. He interestingly subjects Himself to the Son. God the Spirit subjects himself to God the Son in this way. He speaks on behalf of the Son, and he glorifies the Son. You know, I've, I've known a lot of people who spend a lot of time chasing after the Holy Spirit, and I want you to pursue the Spirit. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I want you to know his power and his presence in your life, but the Spirit doesn't give you what he gives you for his own sake. He's always pointing to Jesus. I know a lot of people that chase after the Spirit like He is the end. When all the while the Holy Spirit saying, this isn't about me, it's about Jesus. The reason the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and works in our lives is so that He can point you to Christ. That's why I love that passage that uh, A.W. Tozer writes, and he says that the way God deals with us invariably is by revealing more of the Son, thereby convicting us of sin and leading us to repentance. 
He's not always, he's not, he's not coming on you and saying, you need to be better, you need to do more. He's saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. When you see him, you'll begin to become more like me. So the Holy Spirit is a person. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. I love this. He's distinguishing the difference between God the Father and God the Spirit, yet he shows that they are together as one, just like you and your spirit are one. So the, the Holy Spirit is a person. I just kind of made a list this week of some of the characteristics of this person that I just want to kind of roll through real quickly for you, and I got a bunch of references. If you're following along with your digital notes, I got a ton of Scripture references that we couldn't fit on the page that you got. So I hope you'll use your digital notes as sort of a cross-reference for a lot of this stuff and maybe for later study uh, as you want to study. So the Holy Spirit has a name. He has a will. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit leads. He teaches and reminds. The Spirit gives gifts. He prays for us. He is the helper He advocates, he comforts, he can be grieved or insulted, and he produces fruit in us. In other words, when you are engaged in a relationship with God, it's the Holy Spirit that works it out inside of you. We looked at this passage last week in Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He is always at work producing this in us, transforming us into the image of God. That's why, um, that's why I, I, was, uh, I was reading a book this week uh, a little bit about the Holy Spirit, and um, the author was saying that the Holy Spirit is the one who is the sanctifier in our lives. Right, Jesus has worked out your salvation. In other words, he's worked out a way for you to be made right with God. He did that on the cross, and now the Holy Spirit is the one who is working out your salvation in your life on a day-to-day basis. He's the one that takes what Jesus has done and applies it into your life, turning you into the person that God wants you to become. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. So he's a person. Everybody got that? He's a person. Okay, that's the first thing I want you to see about the Holy Spirit. Second thing I want you to see is this, the next blank on your page, the Holy Spirit is God. He's a person. He is a person of the Trinity. He is a person who is God. In 2 Peter 1 Uh, Peter writes this, he says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. It wasn't within them. No, he says, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. 
So here you see Peter saying, you know, when the prophets spoke and when they wrote, it came from the Holy Spirit from God. He's equating the Holy Spirit and God. He's putting them together. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says uh, that this, the Holy Spirit is the one who uh, works out the great plan of salvation in our lives. Jesus himself tells us that when we baptize people, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus equates all three together as one. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, that means God the Father for Paul, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Right? Linking all three persons of the Trinity as one. In John 15, Jesus again says, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me, right? So the Father sends the person of the Spirit to testify about the Son. They all work together as one. Wayne Grudem is a, a theologian. He's one of the translators of the ESV translation of the Bible. And I love his systematic theology book. It's really, really great. Uh, we use it here in our systematic theology class uh, so we can study and learn more about God. And Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology book uh, says that there's a little three-step formula to understanding how the Holy Spirit fits in with the other two members of the Trinity. All three of them fit together like this. Here it is. This is what he gives us. It's on your page if you want to fill this out. God is three persons. Okay, so step one, God is three persons. Step two, he says each person of the Trinity is fully God. And step three is that there is one God. Right. God is three. Each person is fully God, and there is one. And so some of you might be asking, how can step one and step three both be true at the same time? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, the I'm just a redneck pastor. I don't know, I can't figure it out either. If man, if I could figure it out, then God would be figure outable. But he's bigger and he's better. He doesn't have to be either or. God is great enough to be both and. So I, I tried to kind of diagram this out to see if, if maybe we could figure it out a little bit better. I, I really can't. But you know, it's easy for us to think about the Trinity God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we ask the question, well, how much of the Father is, how much of God is the Father? Let me say it that way. How much of God is the Father? And we look at it this way, wrongly. You know, it's the Trinity, right? How much of God is the Father? Well, 33%. <laughs> how much is the Son? A third. How much is the Spirit? A third. But this is not it. Okay, this is wrong. It's the wrong way for us to look at it. It's much more like this. How much of God is the Father? 100%. The Father is 100% God. How much is the Son? The Son is 100% God. And how much is the Spirit? 100% God. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each 100% 
God. And I have no idea how it works that way. But that's the way the scripture describes them to us. They are three and they are one. And you and I will never fully understand that on this side. We won't fully understand it till we see him face to face. Are you okay to wait a little bit? You okay to wait a little bit on that? Will you trust him between now and then? Or are you just getting more and more confused? Will you trust him? Come on, Dale Murphy, give me some kind of sense that you have some sort of consciousness. Will you trust him? I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't stand here and I can preach to you all day, but I can't pretend like I've got him fully figured out. He's like my wife a lot that way. I can talk about her all day. I can describe her to you. I can tell you what she likes and what she doesn't like. I can tell you about her history. I can tell you about her family life. I can tell you what restaurant she won't want to go to. But I do not have her figured out. Some days I feel like I just met her for the first time. Can I get an amen, husbands in the room? <laughs> God is sort of like that. If you try to get him figured out, you're, you're, you're never going to, but pursuing him is what worship really is. And we'll just let his unknowability lead us to worship him even more. All I know about the, the, the Holy Spirit is that you and I absolutely need his power if we're gonna build our house. We absolutely need his power. I talked last week about how all of us need to build our house and we all give it our best try. We all try to build, remember the phrase from last week, our nave shalom, our house of peace. And we've come up to the mountains, we've built the cabin or we've bought the house so that we can have peace. Don't even see our neighbors. Can't hear anything but the deer running through the woods, right? Problem is, when we try to build our own Nave Shalom, we build it centered upon ourselves, and it sooner or later collapses. All we can really do is mess it up. So we absolutely need His power to build that Nave Shalom, that house of peace. Don't we? Don't, don't you need His power? I, I desperately need his power. I know I can't do anything right on my own. I don't feel like I can get up out of bed and treat my wife with the respect and the love that she deserves any given morning without his power. I don't trust myself at all. I know I need his power. Jesus told his disciples, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was leaving. He had given them a bunch of commands and, and Jesus knew what they were gonna be dealing with next. And he knew that that was gonna be a lot. And so before he left, he gave them some really important instructions. Here's what he tells his disciples. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll receive that gift 
that he promised. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's coming, and you need him. So I know you're going to want to go out and tell the world about me, but wait. Just wait. Wait on the Spirit. Don't make a move until the Spirit comes on you. And I love this passage. I love this instruction from Jesus because I think about those guys. I think about the guys he's talking to, the disciples. These are the guys that were with him for those three years. They're the ones that left everything to follow him. They walked away from family, from good pay and jobs. They walked away from their own businesses. They left their homes to follow Jesus. And when they followed him, man, they got to, they got to see stuff that you and I can only dream of seeing, right? They were there firsthand seeing the miracles that Jesus did. These are the guys that helped facilitate Jesus feeding the 5,000. These are the guys that helped facilitate Jesus healing all the people that came from all the towns around. Peter is one of these guys. He's the one that jumped out of the boat because he trusted Jesus so much. These are the guys that Jesus would, would gather them around. After everybody had gone home, he'd gather them around and he would pour himself into them directly. And if these guys needed to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do I need to wait on him? If they need him, how much more do I need him? Because I know, I know in and of myself, in my natural self, I got nothing. I got nothing, right? Because I was born a criminal against God. Spiritually, the Bible says, I was dead without him, incapable of doing anything, couldn't do anything at all on my own. And my own crimes against God were enough to put me under his judgment. The wages of sin is death. I was living death, and I was destined for death. I had nothing. But God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to come here and to describe his father to us and ultimately to go to that cross. And on the cross... He took the punishment that I deserved, right? He was punished for what I had done. He took it on himself and paid for my sins. He died when I should have died. And he went to that grave and he rose again to give me abundant new life. And how do you think I experienced that life? It's the Holy Spirit living in and through me, right? It's the Spirit empowering me with spiritual life. In other words, the good news is, next blank on your page, that if you are in Christ, the Spirit is in you. Come on, that's some good news. If you're in Christ, the Spirit is in you. Jesus says, wait on the Spirit, and he's already here. The Scripture describes your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
That means 100% of God has chosen to come and live inside of you. What? That's crazy talk. But that's what Paul says in Romans 8, 9, and 10. He says, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. He says, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Yeah, if you're in Christ, that means the Spirit is in you. So that leads me to my second question. Remember my first question earlier I asked? My first question was, what if these really are the end times? What if it really is all about to get uglier than the ugliest ever seen in this world? What if these really are the end times? That's my first question. My second question I want you to ask yourself is, what if he really is in you? What if he is actually in you? What if 100% of God actually lives inside of you? I think about Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the believers. They're all gathered up there in that room and they're hanging out together, you know, having church. They're probably singing the doxology for all I know. And they're up there having church when all of a sudden there's this sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it's so loud that people start coming out of their houses to try to figure out what's going on. They're, they're coming out in the streets trying to figure out what the loud noise was. Tongues of fire settle on each believer's head and they all begin speaking in foreign languages don't even know what they're saying. They're just speaking in foreign languages. And they spill out into the street where all the people that speak those foreign languages are, are trying to figure out where the wind sound came from, right? Because it's the Feast of Pentecost and people from all other nations have come for the big celebration. And now they're hearing these believers speaking in their own native languages. Peter saw that a crowd was gathering and so he decided to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he preaches and the Spirit, dude, moves and thousands of people come to know Jesus right then and there. Dude, it's amazing to see thousands come to Christ. I would love to preach a sermon and have thousands of people come to Christ. And it's then, it's then that all of the miraculous things really start happening. All the healings begin, all the demons get start getting cast out, and they, the, the believers are seeing God work in amazing ways. All the believers are suddenly, they're overcome with the Spirit, and so they humble themselves, and they submit themselves to each other. They're loving each other, serving each other, literally giving themselves away, selling everything they own to take care of each other. And because the Spirit has moved, the gospel, like an out-of-controlled wildfire, spreads from there around the world, and it's still going today. 
That's what happened when the Spirit was poured out. And my question is, what if that Spirit actually entered you? What would your boss think of you? Wouldn't, if the Holy Spirit really entered you, wouldn't it result in a gigantic, enormous, immeasurable change in you? Wouldn't it make you a completely different person? If the Holy Spirit, 100% of God, actually took up residence inside of you, how would your sin level change? How would your faith level change? How would your language change? How would your lifestyle change? How would the way you spent your money change? How would the way you talk to your kids change? What would happen around you if the Holy Spirit, if God himself actually lived in you? Your boss wouldn't know what to think of you. Your wife wouldn't know what to think of you. Your kids would not know what to think of you because you would be radically different. I was talking to somebody this morning, talking to a friend of mine this morning about his neighbor who's quirky, he says. He's, nobody really is sure how to deal with him because he's a nudist. And he's like, he's put up a privacy fence, but everybody knows he walks around in his yard naked all the time. And nobody wants to see that. He's just weird, okay? None of us know what to think about him, and all of us talk about him because he's so weird. But what would happen in your life if the Holy Spirit came in you? He would make you so weird that everybody around you would not be able to stop talking about how freaking weird you are. Am I right? Hopefully, it would result in a different behavior than naked guy. But he would make you weird. He would change you completely. There would be a huge difference between you and everybody around you. Wouldn't he make you different or would he make you blend right in with everyone else? I, I can't change anything about my life. I can't change my thought process, my bad habits, my awful attitudes. I can't change my family dynamics. I, I, I can't change anything. And yet here we are facing what may be the end times and I need some change in my life and it can only come from the Holy Spirit. I wanna build my house to weather the storm and I need his power to do it. I've seen it happen. I've seen him work in my life. Have you seen him work in your life? Have you seen the Holy Spirit come into your life and do something that's only attributable to the Spirit? And just think about it. When was the last time that happened? I, mean, I, I got story after story after story. One of my favorite personal stories, I know I've shared it before, but I'm gonna share it again because it's one of my favorites. It's when I was in India a few years ago. I went to India on a mission trip and my job, my job on this trip was to go with the touring Christian rock band and to proclaim the gospel. It was my job to get up in intermission on the stage and to present the gospel to whoever would listen. Sounds like an easy job. The problem is in India, it's illegal to present the gospel. 
Yeah, it's illegal. It's punishable by imprisonment if you actually preach about Jesus. So we kind of had a schedule for the time that we were there with increasingly larger and larger concerts in bigger and bigger venues. And we went, we, the first one was in a church and the second one was in a uh, concert hall and they just kind of got bigger and bigger as we went along and it got to the last night. We had been successful all the way through. People coming to know Christ, people getting saved. It was awesome. And the last night, the last concert was in a big central open air park in the middle of Calcutta. And they had roped it off where thousands could come. We were so excited that there was gonna be a big group of people there. And sure enough, the, the band starts playing. And I mean, thousands of people have gathered. Just the crowd, it's just an ocean of people going off into the distance, into the night. And it was just an amazing concert. We got to the intermission moment it was my job to grab a microphone and take the stage and come out and say, hey, um, you may be wondering why a bunch of American musicians would have traveled all the way here to India to provide a free concert for you tonight. Well, let me tell you why and to tell them about Jesus. So that night, I did exactly that. Intermission time, I walked down the stage. On this night, the stage was much bigger than it had been in the past with the much bigger crowd. In fact, it was the big stage and then a little um, walkway that extended on out another 20 feet past the stage. So I was just gonna do my job as well as I could. I just grabbed that microphone and I walked out to the end of the walkway. So I'm surrounded by people all around me. And I start my spiel, right? You may wonder why you know, these gringos have come all the way from America. As I start talking, about, you know, 20 feet away from me, this line of uniformed and armed police officers all stand really tall and cross their arms and look at me. They know what's coming. And in that moment, I didn't know what was going to happen next. I thought about my wife and I thought about my kids. And I thought to myself, holy cow, I've never put myself in a position to where my life may actually be in danger for the gospel. I've never experienced this before. And for a moment, I was, I was scared. Should I go ahead and do this? Or should I say, we came here because we love you. Good night. And I looked at those men and they looked up at me and I can't even begin to describe it. But there was this overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit that came upon me. I mean, I can't even begin to describe it. This sense of peace and purpose that, that I just can't even begin to articulate came right over me. And all of a sudden, I wasn't worried about my wife. I wasn't worried about my kids. I wasn't even worried about what happened to me, what might happen to me next. I just knew I was there for him. And I was going to point to him. Even if it took my last breath, I was going to point to him. So I went ahead and I presented the gospel to that group of people gathered there in Calcutta. Went through the whole thing, translators translating 
And I got to the end and I offered everyone the chance to pray to receive Christ. And man, hundreds of people prayed to receive Christ right there in that big open field. God was glorified and a whole bunch of new people met him that night. It was awesome. Yeah, praise the Lord. And I said, the band's coming right back out and I had to make a few more little announcements and I did that and, and I turned and I began to walk back to the back part of the stage where the stairs were to take me down the steps to the ground level and I put the microphone back in the stand and I walked over and I got to the top of the steps and I looked down and those police officers were now forming a circle around the base of those steps. I was like, okay, well... God, I was faithful. I did the best I could, and whatever comes next, comes next. I trust you. So I took a breath, and I walked down those steps, and I noticed something. They don't hire a bunch of tiny Indians when they need police officers. <laughs> they hire all the big guys. And so I got down to the bottom of the steps, and these guys just surrounded me. I mean, they kind of closed in a little bit. And one of them looks at me and says, you just preached Jesus tonight. I said, yeah, that's what I did. And he said, you come with us. So I, I went in the circle of police officers, just kind of moved, and I just kind of went in the circle with them. And they, they took me around behind the stage, behind the big backdrop, behind the giant LED wall that we had there. And I thought, this is not good. They want to get where nobody can see what they do next. So we got around behind there, and, I, and, I, and the guy that was talking, he looked around, and he said, we all want to accept Christ also. <laughs> and so right then, I was like, well, what have I got to do to make that happen? Let's pray. And so we prayed right there, and all of those police officers came to Jesus right there. We gave them CDs. We gave them Bibles. God bless you. Go in peace. Yeah, praise the Lord. You never know what the Holy Spirit is going to show up and do. When he comes on you, he comes on you for his better purposes. And he makes things happen. I couldn't have made that happen. If it had been up to me and my strength, I would have been like, good night, God bless you, go in peace. I would have never even presented the gospel in the first place. But he does the miracle in your life. Have you had something like that happen? I mean, have you had that go on to where the spirit just comes on you and you know that he wants something greater and better? Man, just this week, just this week, a couple of days ago, I was downstairs under my deck working on the motorcycle because I don't have a garage. I have a deck, and so the motorcycle lives down there, and I was working on the bike, and I just started thanking God for the blessings that he's given me. I mean, I, all I was doing was working on the bike and thanking God for this blessing, thanking him for that gift, thanking him for working this out of me. I was just kind of reminding myself and reminding him of how incredible he is. And in that moment, under my deck, with dirty hands, the Spirit just came on me. 
I just sensed his presence in my life and I was overcome. I, I just couldn't help but start to just cry tears of joy. I, I'm literally under the, motor, under the deck with the motorcycle holding a socket wrench in my hand and wondering, does everybody else feel this loved by God? I just felt like he came and just embraced me and just held me and just said, I'm here with you and for you. And I just was overwhelmed by his presence, overcome, literally couldn't stop crying underneath that deck. When was the last time you sensed his presence in your life? Because if you're gonna build your house, you need him. And the good news is that he's right there. He's right there. He's not far off somewhere where you got to chase him down and go looking for him. He's right with you now. Especially in this moment, because the word says that where two or more are gathered together in his name, he will be among them. Among them. His presence is here. Can you feel it? Can you sense it? Do you know him? Have you surrendered your life to him so that he can fill you and change you and turn you into the person that he wants you to become? Know him. Know his power and know his presence because I want you to have a strong house that doesn't fall. And the last blank on your page is that he is the power for building your house. He is the power.